Matthew chapter 14. Now the Lord had just finished feeding 5,000 men by a miracle. And then the women and the children. But then something happened. Matthew 14, let's go to verse 22. We have it. Matthew 14, verse 22. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Lord, Father, break your bread to us, Lord. We need a fresh touch from you. We need a fresh word, O oh Lord. Holy One of Israel, I pray. Unless you touch me, unless you touch us, Lord, we will not gain the victory. One touch from you is enough, Holy One. Even as we hear the word, Lord, I pray that you quicken us. Oh, living Father, have your way in our lives. Lord, may your strong east wind come. Blow apart the Red Sea. We can walk through to victory. Hallelujah. We can walk through to the promised land, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're tired of being in the wilderness. Oh, Lord. We're tired of being in the wilderness. We want to go to the promised land. And it's by your word. You said, I will take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Spiritually, we know it's a life of victory that you're talking about. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you don't have any shortage. Father, you have the promised land for every one of your children. And I pray that each one of us would avail ourselves of the ticket you're giving today to enter into the victory and to stay in the victory. Hallelujah. Open our eyes, Father, to see wonderful things, wondrous things out of your law. Open our ears, Lord, to hear your voice. Open our hearts to receive the word of God that it may bring forth not just 30 or 60, but a hundredfold fruit. Oh, my Father, cleanse, 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 I pray. Cleanse us, Father, to the core that we may be able to receive into our cups your living water. I thank you, praise you for victory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. Matthew 14 and verse 22. Now, he had just finished feeding the 5,000. Then he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He purposely didn't go with, him, with them. God has every situation not only under control, he directs all our paths. So long as we're in his will, there's no mistake. After he, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Something's going on here. Normally he's with them, but now he sends them away to be alone with the Father. He sends the disciples away, told them specifically to get Get into the boat. God's instructions. How many times we can receive instructions from God and we think it doesn't make sense. We think that, Lord, this is something unusual. 
Lord, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Have you ever thought that, Lord? This is not how it's supposed to happen. This is something new. But when we listen to God, He's setting the stage up for a breakthrough. A breakthrough in our faith. A breakthrough to a miracle. He starts off with just an instruction. The more we're in tune with God's voice, and we simply and humbly do, just like in the situation before this, he said, take the bread, whatever he has. And he distributed those five loaves. Ended up feeding not five people, not 50, not 500 all over the sanctuary. Imagine 500 people up in the balcony everywhere. All I have, one, two, three, four, five. And I go start distributing it. One loaf will be gone before I get to half the first row in the pew. Four more, maybe another two pews. How do you feel, how do you feel 500, feed 500 people with five loaves? God is on the scene, that's how. So he did that. He showed that miracle. How did it begin? Think about it. Did the Lord say, Behold, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, James the son of Alphaeus, Judas, Simon. He didn't say, All you people, my twelve disciples, come close. This is the game plan. I'm going to take five loaves. What I'm going to do is, Multiplied miraculously. Are you ready for this? See, once they had the results told to them, it didn't take so much faith as when they didn't see the results. They didn't hear about it. So it started with a simple instruction. In our lives, God says do something. We need to do what? Just do it. It may seem like a menial thing. It may seem like a... a, a a small thing. But we know God said to do it. We just do it. That's the struggle that a lot of people have. That we start to bring in our mind and our experience. And we start to bargain with God or talk to God. And try to tell God, Lord, but this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like Peter said, not so, Lord. We have to be careful, not only to get out of God's way when He's working, but to turn around and side with Him and go along with Him. Amen? It's not just, Lord, I receive what you said, let's do it. First of all, I have to see, do I have a resistance in myself? Certain things God says to do, it's okay, I'll do it. Other things, I think I'd like to argue a little bit with God. And this is why, God, I can't do this. God says, go forgive. No, God. God says, forgive that person. God, I can forgive other people, but not that. Let's just wait on that one. You know what we're doing at that time? We are setting ourselves right against God. Not only can God not work the miracle He wants to do, we're actually opening the door for the devil. And he'll come and do more mischief and cause us to go down and down and down. So when we hear the instruction, whether it take the five loaves, and you have a sea of people in front of you, go give it to them, feed them. They had a question, but then they obeyed. 
Know this, we can have a question rising up, but God, but why, but how? I don't understand. As we grow in the Lord, not only will we be attuned to His voice, we'll come to the point where the moment He says it, no questions asked. God, you want me to get in here and go there? I'm, I'm there. Lord, you want me to turn this way? I'm doing it. And in the obedience, in those steps that God gives, exactly as He gives it, the grace of God will go with us. And God will divide the Red Sea. He did not tell them, let's huddle together. They don't know what's going to happen, but I'm telling you, the five laws are going to be multiplied. Watch. Because I'm going to pray. See, he didn't give them the sequence. That would have built up their confidence in him, but very little room to exercise their faith. Right? God is up to something big. Something good, something great, something glorious. He's working and building faith all the time. But we need to know, there's a grand objective I want to do with God's way. So now Peter and the disciples are told by Jesus uncharacteristically, because he was always with them. All of a sudden he says, get into the boat and go to the other side. Something has happened already. If you can pick it up. This time, there was no question. You see this, the growth, spiritual growth? We need to know where we are. When God speaks to us, do we argue and fuss and question and say, not now, Lord. Not that person, Lord. Give me a little more time to build up a cushion, Lord, because I'm afraid. There's a graduation there. There's a progress. Because now when he said, all of you get into the boat, nobody's turned around to the Lord, but what about you? Lord, but are you going to go there? Sometimes we have a million questions. Have you ever met anybody like that? You tell them one thing, they have a million questions about it. But how? But why? When? Where? Like a child with a parent. A good child would trust the parent. Would get to know the parent. That the parent has my best interest in mind. So when the parent says do something, the child would learn that obedience is a good thing. And mommy is right, daddy is right. It always works out for the best. Something that are treasure. But my point is that at the moment, we don't understand. But this is what I really wanted. And Lord, I can have so much of happiness with this thing. And the Lord says, wait. And when He gives what He wants to give, we can't see that this is what's going to last. God doesn't want us to have cheap thrills. God wants to give us the enduring joy. Hallelujah. So when He speaks to us, we develop this confidence in Him that I don't want to ask any more questions. Because I don't want to question God. Because I know He's good. It's when we're not settled on that. When we're not settled that He is good and only good all the time. When we're not settled that He has my best interest in mind personally. You see? We can say, oh, God is good all the time. But then is He good to me all the time? 
and something else. And then within that, we have to understand that whatever he gives, whatever he says to do, whatever he gives, is going to last. That's what I want. So when we have a history of walking with God like that, basic trust, when the word comes for us to do something, we won't be upset and fidgety and start asking who, what, when, where, why, and how, Lord. We'll simply do it. So they did ask regarding the five loaves. But here, when he said, get into the boat, go to the other side, no questions asked. Just, let's pick it up here in verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He didn't send them on the boat randomly. He didn't send them on the boat because he thought, I need some alone time, like human beings do. He was going to talk to his father. Every time the Son of God talked to the Heavenly Father, it was a preparation to destroy the works of the devil. How? Sometimes we think about God destroying the works of the devil like this. There's a hurricane coming. Lord, it's going to destroy us. We pray and pray and pray. Lord, turn that thing around. Let it not cause damage. That's one thing very blatantly we can see. Then we think about a disease. That's the work of the devil to destroy a person's life, to affect their quality of life. It's a prison many times. We can see that. God comes down and he destroys that power of the devil. We think about finances. There's a severe lack. And we need God's touch. So much pressure. That's the work of the devil to give us that poverty. Because the Lord came to prosper us. Sometimes there's a path where he'll discipline us. But ultimately, he's the best father. He wants to prosper us everywhere. Note this. These examples are very blatant over ways in which we can see the devils at work and calling on God to destroy that work of the devil. I want to be free. There's another more subtle work of the devil that's in our hearts and minds to make us doubt. That is a stronghold that a lot of people don't see and we can float around and say, I'm okay because you know what? God got me through this. Through all of it we need to ask, but what part did I play? Did, it, did I delay the blessing? Did I prevent the blessing? Did I miss the big picture? Did I miss the lesson God is teaching me? So the heart is still having the operations of the devil because doubt is allowed to enter in. He wants to destroy that work. That's the work that's foundational. Because from the heart come the issues of life. We have to guard the heart, make sure it has faith. Make sure we dismiss doubt. Peter's going to learn that lesson. Sure, they now did not ask any questions. They got to the point, God said, get in the boat, go. They did it. The Lord went alone on the mountain to pray to the Father. He's talking with the Father. He's going to do something. Hallelujah. Let's read this. When evening was there, it came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way distant from the land. 
Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long and about 8 miles at the widest point. So the Lord waited for them to get into the middle, very deep, obviously. And it wasn't just that they were on some calm waters. It became very difficult. He's on the mountain, and he's able to see. God knows everything. And it says, the boat was beaten by the waves, for the wind was contrary or against them. This is life. Life has adversities, we all know that. But sometimes it gets so unbearable because it seems like one thing after another, they're all closing in. The devil doesn't waste his ammunition. He has his weapons. And he sees this believer right here, he tells this gang of demons, all he needs to do is fling a slingshot, and we got him. The other one is a little tougher. You need to use a bat. The other one, you need to use a machine gun. And this one over here, nothing works. Don't bother with him. Amen? We want to be that guy. Hallelujah. That when the devil thinks that I want to defeat you and me. Every time he's tried, we have appropriated the word and the promise of God. We have learned to develop faith. We've learned to go with the flow of the Spirit. We've learned to get out of the way, not hinder, talk back, ask question after question. It's, yes, Lord, because, not because it's an army where I'm in jeopardy of losing my position, or I'm going to be disqualified. There's a greater motivation. I trust God, amen, because He's a loving God. I have faith in His goodness, His character. He was teaching the disciples all along. This was a difficult scenario. They were in jeopardy of their lives. So the boat wasn't just moving a little bit. There's a violent shaking. The winds, they say, that come around the Sea of Galilee and right into it, they're crosswinds that are very, very dangerous, treacherous and life-threatening because it is open. So they were in a very difficult position. The Lord saw all of this. In fact, he knew what was going to happen way before it happened. So, when we read the Gospels and we hear stories like this, we need to have that established. My Father has seen the end from the beginning. My faith goes up because I know He knows. He loves me. He's talking to me. He's building faith in me. He's not going to let me go. Even if it gets so difficult, I know there's a solution. God is up to something. Hallelujah. Something good. It says, and in the fourth watch of the night, or three o'clock in the morning, you talk about a night time, when we talk about night in a figurative speech, talking about the time when we're very, very burdened and lonely, and the pressure's on, everything looks dark. That's the time Jesus comes to show himself strong on our behalf. When we're at the end of our rope, the Son of God shows up. He says, Behold, I am the resurrection and the life. He brings Lazarus out when everything looks like it's completely gone. These men, walking with Jesus, long way to go. Every miracle, there's a lesson behind it. See, if a child goes through life, and the child thinks, you know what? When my sneakers wore out, 
Mommy and Daddy gave me a brand new pair of sneakers. And they're happy for the moment. And the next need arises. The particular food I like is not in the fridge. Now we see Mom and Dad bring that home so I can have that. This pattern starts to build expectation. But expectation that is not fueled by faith will turn into greed and a spoiled child. Amen? When we see that every time I have a need, mommy and daddy are bringing it for me, but I don't have faith in their goodness as the motivation for which they're doing that for me, there's no bonding. That's why kids grow up so callous a lot of times. It's always gimme, 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 and I know mommy doesn't want me to look bad in school in front of the other kids who have their mommies buy all that stuff. But you see, that's a wrong kind of thinking until they develop that trust that she loves me. That's why she's doing this. Hopefully, in a human sense. But with God, we know it's always out of love. So when I expect something, it's by faith in His goodness that God cares for me. He's not going to let me down. Faith will grow. But if I expect without faith, I'll become more and more spoiled. The character will not develop. God is building character in us that we understand when He says to do something, I trust Him enough to know when I do it, there's going to be blessing, even if I can't see it right now. Amen? That's what God did. He's training them. So every time He does a miracle, it's not just I'm bailing you out. Some people say, Lord, just get me out of this. I promise I'll follow you for the rest of my life. There's no connection. Lord, I thank you. Lord, you allowed me to be so humbled. I don't trust in me anymore. I trust only in you. There's going to be a growth. There's a progress. Peter was going to learn a great lesson. At 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now I had to stop when I read this. Just picture that. Gospels are written in a very condensed form, but every line, every word has so much of life for us and meaning. Can you imagine that? Scene one, Jesus says to the disciples, get into the boat, go the other side. Scene two, he's up in the mountain talking with the Father. Scene three, they're struggling in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Scene four, he's walking on the water to them. Can you imagine the, how powerful that is? How astounding? Nobody walked on water. So sometimes we can read the word like that. So casual. And so dull in our understanding. We need to say, Lord, quicken my understanding. Read it again and again and again. When God sees you're taking effort, you value the Word of God, and you want to get everything God has for you in it, then God will begin to give you the manna that you need to nourish your soul, to make you stronger, to trust in Him, and to become like Him. Otherwise, it will be a casual reading. When we read, that stopped me when I read that. He walked to them on the sea. You have water all over here. With that density and mass of a human being's body, you cannot walk. You may be able to float, but you can't walk like that. 
And here he is, maybe at the end of the sanctuary there. We're in the boat over here, struggling and struggling. And it's getting stronger and stronger. And all of a sudden, you look, there's a figure walking, and it's water. Figures walking on the water, they were terrified, they thought it was a spirit, a ghost. Naturally, 3 o'clock in the morning, on the water, it's dark, somebody's walking on the water toward you, they scream. What is God up to in all of this? But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately, immediately he spoke to them. He didn't let them cry and get worked up more. God's not into watching a drama. He cares for us. But he allowed them to experience that. You know why? To show them that you need more faith. Two things here. Usually when we read this passage, we're thinking about the confrontation or the scenario with Peter in his faith. The disciples' faith also. How? Because who sent them across? Jesus. Who's the Son of God before whom they saw all the evil spirits subdued and cast out? Jesus. Somehow, and we see this in the narrative, they're not able to carry that faith from event to event. Have you ever felt that way? I feel like loose ends in my faith. I have faith for the moment and then when the next situation comes, I have to regather that and try to find it again. And then the event happens and God delivers me and I go cruising and then the next, I have to try to find faith again. They saw the impossible miracle of feeding maybe 12,000 total people, women and children, with just five loaves of bread. You go to the store, you get five loaves of bread, you're going to feel, feed 12,000 people. They saw it. They also saw him cast out evil spirits. They've had this witness that all along, God is powerful. We're seeing more and more, this is the divine nature. Now that he said, go in the boat, didn't have faith that God is still with us. It's true, the physical Jesus was not there. But he was there. He didn't leave them for that time, however long it was, so that they can get terrified by some spirit and drown or sink. Their faith needed to grow. We need our faith to grow. We need to monitor our faith. We need to say, Lord, you're showing us all the time in the Gospels that the disciples at one time Jesus said, have you no faith? Another time Jesus said, oh you of little faith? And then he says to some, what great faith in the centurion. Now, if I read the Gospels as a story, and I don't try to picture where do I fall in this category, or categories, do I have no faith? That when I, I see a spirit, when I feel an attack, something is contrary to me, that I begin to cry out and terrify, rather than call on God, know that God is still with me. I believe in the invisible God more than I see what I see with my eyes, the visible. That's faith. I believe in the invisible God. 
who I can see by faith, but not my eyes necessarily, more than the visible reality in front of me. That is true religion, true faith, true communion and relationship with God. God is on my side. He loves me. God so loved the world that He came for me too. Hallelujah. So I don't perish. But here, they were afraid. They thought they were going to perish. And then on top of that, in the middle of the night, they see a ghost. None of them said, Jesus, where are you? Lord, help me. Sometimes as Christians, we can act just like the world. On the one hand, we can act like the world and do wrong things. On the other hand, a little more subtle, we can be without faith. What's the difference? What's the difference? We are people of faith because God is real. He's come to us. We know Him. So the disciples had that issue. He didn't let them continue to be terrified. Right away, He immediately intervened and said, Don't be afraid. Take heart. It's me. It's me. Do not be afraid. Now, at this point, he was not too close to the boat. It wasn't like the boat is here and he's standing right here. It's me. Touch my hand, you see. He stayed at a little distance because there's something else he's going to do. He knew it already. Everything that happens, God knows. Do you believe that? There's nothing that a person can invent or think up or prepare that God doesn't already know it. He knew. He knew everything. He knew. The Father wanted him to tell them, get in the boat, go to the other side. The Father told them, you, Son of God, come to me on the mountain. The Father told them, look over there, see them struggling? The Father said, go, walk on the water. And the Father told them, don't go too close because Peter's going to ask a question now. Hallelujah. The Father knows everything. Jesus knew, but the Father knew. So once they knew it's Jesus, and he says, it's me, don't, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid, it's me. Same Jesus. Peter, quickly, you know, like clockwork. He's testing the waters, quite literally. You know what he says? Well, if it's you, Lord, why don't you tell me to come to you right now, on the water? And the Lord doesn't say, oh, Peter... You really, you really want me to do this? Okay. You want to show the other 11 how brave you are and you have faith? I'll tell you what. Let me set it up for you. When you step out, you're going to feel a little nervous, but don't worry, the water is not that cold. Just step one foot, Peter, okay? And then another step in front, and it may be that the winds are going to come. Don't fear, okay? None of that. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, let me come. He said, come. That's enough for Peter. That's the Lord, and he says, come, I'm going to prove that sin because I know he won't let me down. Jesus never let me down. So he steps out, you can hear the puddle, splash. He's astounded, I'm sure. And he takes another step, he's walking on water. The man is walking on water, and he's not the Son of God. The Lord transferred something right there through the Word. When he said, come... He gave the grace for him, the power to walk on water. It defies science, but he was walking. Listen to what happened next. Once he starts walking, his eyes and his ears, the physical senses took over stronger than his faith. 
He had some faith. Without faith, he couldn't really ask a sincere question like that. Without faith, he could not take that, a one single step out of the boat. He had some faith. Without faith, he couldn't have taken another step. But when the devil brought the physical distraction, he let that overpower him. See, when we're with God in this world, it's not that we're supposed to be blind to everything. No. We see it, and in spite of it, by faith, we keep our eyes on the Lord and do what He says. Amen? We believe what He said. But He's walking out in this howling wind, maybe. Tremendous wind, the noise itself. Because in his mind as a fisherman, he knows if the wind sounds like that, it hasn't stopped. It means trouble for us. He's putting all this together quickly. What is God showing us? Our natural sensibilities, our understanding, our emotions, our previous experience. We have to put all of that to the side and say, the Lord said to do it. I know when I obey Him, it's going to be okay. Amen? We need to transfer that to our lives. That when God says to do something, we just follow. It doesn't make any sense. But because God said it, I know it's going to be okay. Peter's faith was being tested. Opportunity to grow. He looked at the wind. He actually came to Jesus. He looked at the wind. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me! Now, we stop right here. There is a change in Peter's world. He's defying gravity. And it's because the Lord wanted him to. Everything is good so far. Peter had a desire. The desire linked up with God's will. God spoke the word so it can come to pass. He's in process of experiencing a miracle. But in the process of experiencing this miracle, he gets distracted with the things that the devil brings. When he pays attention to that more than to the Word of God and trusting in Jesus, he begins to think. That's profound because God didn't mean for him to think or begin to think. How did this change so quickly? He began to think only for one reason. It wasn't that God said that's enough steps you took. Now, as you think, my design is to carry you so I can show everybody that I'm the one that's doing this really. It wasn't that. He wanted Peter to walk to him, and they were supposed to walk back together with no thinking in between. The difference here, the thing that caused him to think was doubt. How powerful faith can be in lack of it. In our miracle, in our deliverance. How God is showing so clearly. I don't see anything else written there. I don't see behind the scenes that the Lord had this many things He wanted to do and He's going to give the devil a little bit room here to affect Peter. You know, and, and uh, it's okay if he sinks Because we hear what Jesus said at that moment. See, we don't have to conjecture over here and try to guess what's going on. Very simple. The Lord told him, come. 
He walked on water. Miracle was happening before everyone's eyes. And then because he let the distractions drown his faith, he began to drown. That's what happened. It was a matter of his faith. Either being there or not being there. That was the difference between him walking on the water, experiencing the miracle of God, and then drowning or sinking. How vital it is for us to make sure that we keep checking ourselves with God's help to see whether we really believe God. And the way we know is this. First of all, to do what he says. When he said, come, Peter obeyed. He had faith. But then he couldn't sustain that faith because when the distractions came, he forgot about the commandments, he forgot about Jesus, he forgot about everything that was happening. I'm, I'm literally walking in the midst of a miracle. He's making history with the grace of God, by the grace of God. But that faith is gone in a moment because of the howling wind. We need to know. We need to build our faith. Faith comes by hearing. And the faculty to hear the voice of God comes from the Word of God. The Word is able to penetrate right into a dense spiritual ear. When it penetrates, hearing comes. I'm able to grow. How important it is to keep reading the Word of God. Not only that, when we read even a small passage like this, read it over and over. Don't stop. Read it with intention and say, Father, show me what is this about. You may have read that a thousand times, but God wants to show you something new. That's why when I came to that part that Jesus has come, I was imagining he's literally going to make history. He's going to walk on water as if just a human being. And then the only factor that caused him to sink, to begin to sink, was his doubting. We don't have to guess. Jesus said as much. Because when he cried out, Lord, save me, he's going down. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand. Just like immediately he told them, don't be afraid. He didn't want them. He didn't want them to go on with that fear. He's such a good God. Immediately he reached out his hand and he pulled them up. And he caught him. And he had something to say to him. See, he didn't just pick him up and pat him and say, oh, poor baby, you, you're worried, you're afraid, let's just take you into the boat and I'm going to give everybody a lesson on how I'll always save you. Thank God. Again, we'll end up being spoiled. Every time the Lord bails us out, never speaks the word we need to grow, we'll just become, gimme, 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 gimme. I know Jesus is there for me. Instead of building that faith to make us strong so He can work through us. What happened here? He said, Oh man of little faith, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? It seems to me, when I read it at face value, that's a pretty strong word to say to someone who never walked on water before, was doing good, had a legitimate reason, quote-unquote, legitimate reason to start to be afraid because of the tremendous wind. When the weatherman says, 
the winds are whatever, so many miles an hour, and you know as soon as you hear that, that's trouble. Trees will start to get ripped off, branches everywhere, cars can get flipped over. Are you not supposed to be afraid? Isn't it human to be afraid? It is human when we are confined to our limitations on how to face that thing. Amen? When we have the Son of God, when the fear starts coming, we have to shut it down and say, but God is with me. But God is with me. He's not going to let me down. He's going to take me through this thing. I don't care if this, this category, whatever, disaster is everywhere. A thousand may fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. Hallelujah. That's faith in God. That's real. We have to say, Lord, it's for me, and I will say your word when the situation looks adverse. Then we'll grow in faith. Peter, with all that he knew, all that he saw, he had nothing to draw on because he didn't keep it with him. The bank wasn't with him. You see? Miracles can happen in our lives. It can all be loosely connected, but we don't have the concrete. I'm grabbing this for the next time. Amen? Because, because of what God did here, I'm going to remember immediately, God, but you've saved me out of that car crash before. I may be in a worse situation, but I know if you got me out of that one, you're going to get me out of this one. Hallelujah. And you're going to hear my prayer and my cry, Lord. Peter didn't have it. What happened? That's why the Lord spoke that. Humanly, we can think, man, that's a little hard because he never saw this miracle, number one. And he never did it himself. He couldn't walk on water before. And you got this tremendous wind howling. He's a fisherman. He knows about that marine setting. He knows that this thing can topple the boat. And how about me? Of course. He lost everything at the moment. That's how the devil can bring things. So we get so desperate that we think, I just want out of here. We don't even look for God. We don't even call on God's name. Peter was doubting because... Yes, he didn't have his eyes on Jesus. But what does that translate to in actual practice? He didn't have faith. His faith sunk when the winds came. His faith was okay when the, everything was just right. But the moment the trouble came, his faith started going down. What he should have done was fight against that. And say, Lord Jesus, this is what I'm hearing, but Lord, I'm going to keep walking. That's what he should have said. Said that. He was totally taken away. And then, look at the... It just... It's amazing to me as, as I was reading that. The moment he doubted... Listen to this. This transaction is happening within him. It's not something uh, physical and concrete. So, he's on water, this physical substance. He's in his earthly body, physically. In the natural environment around him, all physical. But something that was happening within him that was invisible, spiritual, immediately affected the physical situation. You see that? Little bit of doubt flipped the situation. That's the power of faith. And also, the power we give the devil, we don't exercise faith. Our physical situation can get immediately affected. If we don't hold on to faith and say, Lord, but I'm looking to you and trusting you, I will not let go. The Lord had to deal with them. 
different times with different miracles, different scenarios. He was hoping that every time he did a miracle, their faith would be on him and him only. That the faith would be sustained. They won't give up. But what, what happened? Many times they didn't learn. Is this so with us? Can we confess that? Should we look at this and say, well, oh, poor Peter, there he goes again. And these disciples, man, they don't get it. The Lord's upset. He's grieved. He's upset. He's angry. I can feel that. I'm so sorry he's feeling that. These guys just don't get it. I mean, how many miracles does Jesus have to do till we put ourselves in that situation? Till we look at the next thing we have to face? We need to be honest. We need to say, Lord, am I a person with no faith? Well, we've come to believe in the Son of God, so we have to have some faith. Faith to be saved. But the faith to be exercised in real life situations and trouble, that's another story. When the adversity comes, we can lose that faith. Till the Lord comes and says, where is your faith? Have you no faith? That situation, he says, oh, you have little faith. You have some faith, but it's so small. In other words, I didn't expect that from you. Why? Because we're supposed to work it up? No, because he said, I've done so much to show you. I'm the one who bailed you out of that financial mess. Amen? I'm the one who sent the check in the mail. Hallelujah. I'm the one who took care of the hospital. Doctor didn't do it. I did it. The doctors were amazed. They were astounded. I'm the one that caused the relationship to come back. It's a miracle. Every single time God does a miracle, we need to say, Lord, it's you and you alone. It is the Lord. And Father, no more. Am I going to put you in that awkward position, Lord, to grieve you, to turn around and say to me, Oh, do you have no faith after all I've done for you, time and time again? Lord, I don't want to grieve you even at the next level. For you to say, Oh, you have little faith? You should have a lot more. Look what I've done for you. Lord, I want you to say to me, Oh, you have great faith. Is it possible? Is it only the centurion? Only a select few? That's not God's design at all. He wants all of his children to have great faith. Because he's a great God, a great father over all of us. He has done miracles for all of us. And he does it all the time. Hallelujah. He doesn't hold back and hold out. As long as we have our hands out to him and say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to sing praises to you. I'm going to do something opposite to what I feel in my body. No more failure for me. Hallelujah. Why? Because God is a good God. That's all. It's not because I'm so good and I've done so much and I have a track record and I can take it to God and say, Lord, here am I. No. It's because God says, I am that I am. Here am I. Hallelujah. I'm in your life. I'm not going to let you go. Notice the compassion of God. There was a rebuke. It wasn't a, a, a mild statement. Because you see that at different times when God addressed the disciples. Certain times he was very grieved. He was upset. He has to be. Because he's perfect. He knows that if they don't understand that at some point, they'll end up denying him. It's a great danger. It's a possibility. But in the middle of that, we can live a life of defeat. The world can turn around and say, where's your God? What makes Jesus better than the other gods? Because when the adversity comes, 
we may see a couple of scenarios. One is, the believer throw up their hands in the air just like the other people. And immediately, what does the news say? How's the economy again? What did they predict over there? What did the weatherman say? What did Uncle Harry say? What did they say? What did the car say? Faith is going directly to God and saying, Lord, I don't care what anything or anybody says. You have the answer for me. You're going to bring me through this. We need to come to that point so that people in the world will see that you are speaking words that are not rational, but you have a confidence. There's another scenario the world can see. That's the believer who's wearing a mask. They'll say all the right words. God's going to get us through it. And inside they're shaking like anything. Jesus is on the throne. Yep, I'm going to believe God. But they're completely no faith. They're also trying to see what's going to happen next. God diagnoses us. And I love to be diagnosed by the Lord. Because I know He'll give a 100% accurate assessment. What's the benefit of that? 100% treatment from him to show us what's lacking what's going to fix this completely and he also says what's going to happen if you get this fixed your quality of life your walk with God is going to be one of victory are we going to face adversities again of course we will but we will be in position to be a valiant soldier of God because we have a string of victories hallelujah God has shown us it says Let's turn to Romans chapter 5 very quickly. By the way, right here to finish the section, it says, When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So when he was rebuked by the Lord, the Lord showed him, I'm in control. No more wind. That thing that shook you and scared you, look how quickly it's gone. Aren't you amazed sometimes? We build up so much fear for some situation. And all of a sudden, God comes on the scene and it's gone. You feel this tremendous relief. You're, you're all smiles, your eyes are big and wide. You're like, wow, hallelujah. That's how quickly God can do this? And I was so struggled, I was so troubled with this, struggling to see. And in my mind, thinking it's going to take a long time, Lord. It's going to take all of this stuff to come together. And God does it like that. Hallelujah. God is able. Soon as they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat... This is what your family members who don't know God, your neighbors who may blaspheme God, your co-workers who sneer and jeer at God and your faith, they need to say, say this when they see you. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That centurion when the Lord was on the cross and the land became dark and the rocks started shaking, the earthquake, this Roman centurion who is not a follower, he saw all of those things and he says, truly this man was the son of God. And I suspect he became a believer. Maybe he gave his life for the faith among his own Roman military set up there. There were those who did that. Powerful. But when they see us, they need to be able to say, your God is the real God. Hallelujah. And I want to know your God because I've seen you walk through this trial. 
and I've seen you overcome the trial, and I've seen more than anything, your God reach down and take you out of this trial. Hallelujah. He set my feet on solid ground. He took my feet out of the miry clay, sinking sand, set me on a rock. Romans chapter 5, let's just turn there, talking about faith and what is actually happening when we go through different things. How the Lord is showing that deeper character formation within us that He wants. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, I think we're trying to get it on the screen there. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access to God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in our hope, sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. Peter is experiencing something like this. There was a test. There was a suffering because he was afraid. Fear brings suffering. It's not pleasant to be afraid. It causes all kinds of reactions in our minds, in our bodies, in our souls. It can come and grip us and paralyze us. Fear can make us give up. Fear can make us turn our backs on God and go back to the world. Because the devil has successfully brought those howling winds, like when Peter was on the water, to make us turn our eyes to the wind and begin to sink. God sees the whole process. And He says, you've been saved, you've been born again. God's blood has justified you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, now you have an access, you have a ticket, you have an invitation to meet directly with the Father through Jesus. This is grace. God has given you grace. You have access. With that access, we're going through a real life situation. We're doing real life in this world. We have adversity, we have problems, we have things that cause fear. I have this, but is this something just for me when I get to heaven? That when I die I go to be with God, but right now I have to kind of wing it on my own? Too often, too many Christians are on that kind of mode. They go on that autopilot mode that I know God, I've got Him up here, and I do feel something here, but when I have low finances, low funds, when my health is adversely affected, when people are mistreating me or misunderstanding me, I have to fend for myself. I have to start thinking, 
how am I going to answer this one and how am I going to talk to this one and try to fix that there and my finances, I got to see what's the best scheme, where's your God? And so I got to ask, where's your God? Why can't we believe God's word? That God says that He will bless us according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. One day Peter came and the people asked him, doesn't your master pay taxes? Peter said, yes. He was caught off guard. He just said, yes. And he went and told Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, of whom do the people, the country, get taxes? Is it from their own native sons? Or is it from the foreigners? Peter said, the foreigners. Why would you tax your own people? Now, as the thinking, Peter said, Jesus said, nonetheless, we don't want to ruffle any feathers here. You go, catch fish. The first fish that comes up, you're going to find a coin in the mouth of that fish, take it and pay the taxes for you and for me. Can God not provide? What is he showing? He's showing that he can give money. But if he gives us money without developing our faith, will become spoiled brats. God's not interested in that. He wants children who have a right relationship, who will grow to be like Him. Instead of, give me, give me, give me, and then run and do my own thing, dishonor His name, abuse myself, make a failure of everything. God loves us too much. Even if we failed a thousand times, that's the truth. Thousand times, Lord, I took what you gave me and I squandered it, I abused it, I wasted it, and I developed animosity against you, against people. God, I just want to have a good time. I don't even care. Some people say this. They say, I don't want to live a long life. I don't care if I go tomorrow, as long as I live it up. God has brought us an understanding that you can live it up on this world. But the moment your heart stops, you're going to be burning in torment forever. You can't get out of that. He knows. That's why He has come and told us, I brought you to me to give you freedom. I have washed you from your sins. Have you ever seen people giving blood? You've given blood before, whether it's a laboratory or a donation. That's your life flowing out of you. Sure, it's not going to affect your total quality of life. But it's still part of your life. Because everything of life is in that blood, plasma, and they have these proteins and different things. They're giving part of your life. Jesus gave his life so that we can live. He didn't just roll up his sleeves and say, take a few pints. He gave it all. He gave his life. That's what Paul's saying here by the Spirit of God. You've been justified. In other words, you should go to prison and be locked up forever, not even for life, forever and never get out. But Jesus stepped in front of the judge and said, take me to prison, let him go free. And when the judge says, no, it's not good enough, you have to be executed, are you ready? He said, let's do it, because I want them to live. That's how powerful it is. That's how we can come to God. Nothing short of that. It's not God says, I'm feeling good today, so I'll, I'll increase the quota. Bring a few more people into heaven. Okay, stop right there. We'll see tomorrow. He went willingly when he knew we were corrupt and evil. Christ died for the ungodly. 
He died for us when we were in our sins, not when we were clean. That's the love of God. So if we have this access, just by faith, Jesus, you washed me clean. Now I can talk to the Father. I couldn't see his face before. I have so much shame and guilt. But now you change everything, Lord. I can go to the Father and actually call him Daddy. And I can say, Lord, I have this track record. And Lord, right now, maybe it's because of what I did before. I'm all confused. But I have pressure right now, Lord. How do I handle this? All we have to do is ask and say, Lord, speak to me. And God will see that, you know what? Even though the devil's telling you lies and saying that you can't come to me, you're not going to get anything, you're still coming to me, I see that faith. I'm going to work with you. Hallelujah. God comes on the scene. He starts working. We're justified by His blood. We've, brought, we've been brought near by access to His throne by faith. We have this grace, and because of that, we're happy. We're able to rejoice. Now listen to this, verse 3. More than that, we also rejoice in our sufferings. How do you rejoice when you're in pain? Only a Christian can really rejoice. Not because they like pain, but because they know God is still in control. I've seen people in the hospitals. One day I was visiting someone from years ago, and there was a man in the ward, and, and as I passed by, the Spirit of God said, stop and talk to me. And I went in there, and, and he said, uh, it's not looking good. They're taking me for more tests. Some kind of cancer, I think. And uh, I, I told him, God loves you. And he said, I know that. And all of a sudden, he had this bright smile. He was a believer. Even though this was what they said, because his faith was there, the moment he was so happy that I stepped in there, stranger, because I came to glorify God and encourage him. His faith was touched. But he had faith. That's the difference between a believer and a non-believer. When somebody's in a car crash, like I've been in, and I'm sure you've been in, some of you at least, it should have been fatal. Even when you're semi-conscious, because you've been leaning on God, you say, Jesus, 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 help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. It is, there is such a thing. There is such a thing that we can not only go through suffering and problems with this tenacity and grit our teeth and say, I'm going to tough it out, I'm going to tough it out, and still have anxiety, but actually go to another realm, the supernatural realm, where we begin to actually say, God, I thank you that you're still with me. Nothing's going to stop your plan for me in my life. That's supreme confidence. That's why the Apostle could write this, that we can rejoice when the chips are down. We can rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces character. Suffering produces not weakness, but character. This is completely different from what the world says. Even though the world says that what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, it's not really true. We have a lot of sayings that can psych us up. As I say, usually like a coach can do that. A lot of sayings. We can go a little bit when we feel like, you know what, we're not going to win this game. And the coach comes and says, yes, you can, you can do it. We can get a little more pep in our step and, and go and do that. That's about it. 
when God speaks, when God speaks to us, when we have the relationship with God intact, when we believe God, when we start letting God speak to us during our sufferings, you know what's going to happen? We are going to have our character built up. We are going to have our character built up. And that character, I skipped here a little bit, but suffering, what does it say? Suffering, endurance, character. Through the suffering, God starts building this endurance within us. This persistence, the perseverance. And it sets us up to win the next time. That's God's design. When a coach puts a player to a rigorous, grueling ordeal, in basketball they have this exercise where you put your back against the wall, I'm sure many of you know, and you're supposed to squat down and basically be in that position with your thighs parallel to the ground for as long as you can. When you first do it, your thighs start burning, you think this is intense. I don't know if I can handle this. What happens? You're able to handle that for a few minutes. Then you stop. And then you come back. Those muscles are starting to get used to that breakdown. And they build the fibers back up stronger. We understand that the natural. No pain, no gain. God has that working in our soul. When I face a situation that is painful, because I have faith, that's how this chapter starts out. I have faith. God is with me in this. Jesus, get me through this. And because I keep calling on His name through my pain, it develops that endurance that the next time my faith can grow. There's a growth. There's no static Christianity. There's a growth. But why is this written here? For me to understand the process. So I don't go against the process. I go with the flow. Instead of saying, Lord, it's painful. I want to bail out. I say, God, you're working something out. I'm going to stay in this thing, looking to you to finish this. Hallelujah. So that suffering produces endurance, and that endurance produces experience. That's what the King James says, experiential character. In other words, I've gone through it. Now I have that on my resume. Not just to put it on paper, there's a functionality to it where I've actually carried that experience into my next experience. I've carried that victory into my next experience, which most likely will be harder. No pain, no gain. I will actually get to the point where I'll have total faith that no matter what comes my way, through Jesus I'll overcome. That character, in the end, produces hope. I have complete hope. What is hope? Hope is an expectation of something that is positive, that is good. That's what hope is. Hope is, and somebody says, I hope so. I hope it will be a good day. I'm expecting something positive. I don't know if it's going to happen. Necessarily. But that's what I set my eyes on. The good side and the good possibility. Faith comes along and says, it will be a good day. These three abide, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. That love is able to understand Faith, hope, and love. Rebecca.
faith, hope, and love. So you see how these things go together. They're not just random statements, random words. When, now notice how this works. That means that real hope is built up, concrete hope, that it begins to expect positive things. Do you know you can be negative? So suffering is not a bad thing altogether. God doesn't enjoy giving us pain or allowing us to get into a situation where we feel like we're all closed in. It's not a good feeling, but many times that's the only way He can get our attention. That's the only way that we will start looking up and saying, God, I'm not my God. I refuse to try to run my life. I've made a mess of it. You run my life, Lord. You're God Almighty. Nothing works. Everything I tried always turned out bad. So, Lord, I'm turning to you. Now, through the suffering, we're yearning for the deliverance. We start asking God, Lord, I don't understand it, but I have enough faith to know. Through the suffering, what are you going to do? You're going to build endurance in me. Many here can testify, watching online too, that it was through the suffering that you saw Jesus so real and so next to you. Amen? He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. When we are at our wit's end, just like the disciples, they're in the middle of that Sea of Galilee, rowing and rowing, and the wind is coming against them. They're desperate for life. Three o'clock in the morning, he's walking on water. What did he say? Don't be afraid, I'm here. It's me. And as soon as he steps into the boat, the wind stops. It's through those situations that we get closer to God. We need to know how to use suffering. We need to know that we can use trials. Isn't that amazing? You are in the midst of it, but at the same time, because of God's word, what he's told us ahead of time, by faith, you can also step out of it. You're going through it, but by the Spirit you can step out of it and see the whole picture. You can see, you know what, God is going to get me through this. By faith I can see this. In my soul I know that God is going to build endurance. He's developing something in me. And as I hang in there and keep trusting God, speaking God's word, and saying, God, what is the bigger goal you have here? Do you know when you have illness and you get relieved, you get healed? It's not just to be relieved from the disease. It's to tell the whole world about your Jesus. Amen? That others who are in different situations can come and say, you mean you had hope and God took care of that? Well, if you can have hope, I can have hope. In who? In Jesus. When God takes you out of a situation that's financially distraught, there's no way, there's no way that you can bear yourself out. All the bills are stacking high and you have more things coming. And this is your income. And these are your bills. The pressure. When we call on Jesus, all things are possible. He will move heaven and earth to come rescue me when I call. People commit suicide over financial burden. It's no news. It's not only during the depression time, people jumping off the buildings, even today. Just yesterday I read of a PhD student, this lovely oriental girl, probably early 20s, did very well in China, ended up in a university in Utah, getting a PhD in physics, committed suicide. What happened? You look at her, she looks so pleasant and good. It turned out that the 
mentors that she had in the environment where she had to do the experiments for her PhD. It was chaos there, and they were not treating her right. And what should have taken four years was taking seven years and didn't stop. And the qualifying exam that she had to take after one year, she took one, I think, in the fifth year or something. She had such a struggle all the way. No doubt she was lonely. And what she thought didn't happen the way she wanted it. I was thinking, if she had Jesus, this so sad, this, this human being, all she wanted to do was have a better life. Got the opportunity, came here, and hell break, broke loose here. People are mean over there. The faculty, they're, they're all trying to jump on the equipment at the laboratory. Became chaotic. And she's caught in the middle, and she's the underdog. She's the newcomer. They're not talking to her properly. She doesn't know where she stands. It's already elongating, seven years. She's under tremendous stress, and they're taking her life. Without Jesus, there's a certain threshold that we can't handle. None of us can handle it. None of us. But because of His grace, not only can we handle it, we can go through it and break through. Hallelujah. Just like that, that caterpillar in the cocoon, come out like a butterfly, where everybody would see the beautiful colors and what was happening during that dark period. Hallelujah. During the suffering, what God was producing. Hallelujah. He was producing endurance. He was producing character experience that led to this hope. Everybody can see. It doesn't need to be another suicide. You would think, you know what? People on drugs do that, don't they? The devil is equal opportunity. He doesn't care who you are. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But when we have Jesus, no matter how bleak it looks and how hard it is, like Joseph in the prison, like Daniel in the lion's den, we can know, my God is with me. This is not the end of the story. Hallelujah. The devil convinced that poor young girl, this is the end of the story, so let's go. Yeah, she ended up doing it. What a tragedy. You can think of another two young medical students in NYU some years ago. It was a shocking thing. Two Indian young students who loved each other, boy and a girl, medical school, planned to get married. Something happened where the parties involved didn't want them to get married. There's an intrusion from a third person. Both of them committed suicide. There's a Romeo and Juliet thing. One committed suicide. The other one heard about it. She committed suicide. How tragic. You would think, how does that happen? I mean, you have a good family. You have money. You don't have to worry about funding for your study. You're doing well. You're going to be a doctor. Your spouse is going to be a doctor. You have all this planned out. How did this happen? What happened? What happened is, they didn't have Jesus, unfortunately. When the devil set the conditions just right, he took them out. So easily. How tragic. But if they had Jesus, when they had that problem from the parties, whoever, maybe their, their uh, families, and then this third person that loved triangle is horrible. They would have said, you know what, we need to hold hands and pray. 
We need to start looking to the Lord because it's the devil that sent that guy and it's the devil that doesn't want God's will. See, if they were praying to Jesus, their studies also would have not, not just been a humanitarian type of thing, you know, I'm going to go and save people and help people. It would have been, you know what? I'm going to show people who's the greatest physician of all. Jesus Christ. The one who can not only heal the body, but solve troubles in all of life situations. The one who guarantees eternal life. We can go through suffering. We can go through trouble. But it's when we know Jesus that we can see. This is a snapshot. This is a bird's eye view of my life and your life. Within this small passage, two verses. This is our life. In this world, Jesus said, you will have suffering, tribulations. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. No matter what, I have overcome the world. There was a guy in the 1970s, very terrible gang member. Horrible things he did, I heard about. I don't want to say it here. But very, very fearful person, or fearsome, I should say. Well, he was making 25 grand, I think a week, a week back in the 1970s. All the gold, all the clothing, all the women, and all the money, all the cars. And he was planning his next thing that he's going to do. Did all these people he recruited, everything's fine. People fear me. I have everything I want. Nobody can stop me. And I'm young. One day, he woke up. And he said, I ran out to the middle of the street. I fell on my knees. And said, Jesus, save me. I'm tired of this life. I'm sick and tired of this life. He got saved. You think, how does that happen? Just like that? with drugs and weapons and all these threats and charges against him and he's still threatening people and doing harm. Evidently, he heard the word somewhere, maybe when he's growing up, and the pressure built up that that image on the outside, he was getting very sick of it. He said, this is fake, too much pressure. He just ran out to the street. Listen to this. He went on his knees, received the Lord. You know what he did after that? He went. No more income. He left everything. He went to the local grocery store and started packing the shopping bags for the customers for something like a dime or 25 cents. And he started working there. He said, the money I made over there at the grocery store, which is a fraction of, I mean, it's no comparison. He said, I, feel, I felt so good. He said, when I came home with that $150 or whatever it was back then, he said, I felt so clean and happy. And I worked an honest day's work, and the money is not dirty. Hallelujah. It's clean because Jesus has cleaned my soul, and my eyes are wide open. And he started going to the gang members, with all these tattoos and everything, and giving the gospel. Still fears nobody. But the love of God. His name was, I think, Anthony Vega, back in the 70s. I remember the picture and everything. Well, that's another kind of suffering. It's a hidden suffering. The image is, I'm tough, I got money, I got everything, all the pleasure. 
but I'm miserable inside, but I can't let anybody see it because if you let them see it, it's weakness, they'll kill you. But it was too much inside. And he went out in public like Zacchaeus. And he said, I surrender. Jesus, I need you to save me. Instantly he got saved. And he knew instantly, now that Jesus is in my life, I don't need to worry about what suffering may come because I don't have that money coming in. And people are going to think I'm a coward now. He said, it's an honest shift. Because I know he's really with me. And nobody could stop him. He went back to the gangs to give the word. Nobody stopped him. Heart is clean by the blood of Jesus. That's another type of suffering. That misery inside. Bottled up. So you have sickness. You have financial woes. Matter problems. Uh, a problem like this. Where you're carrying that burden. Problem like that PhD student. The pressure of having people. Maybe they're racist. Quite possibly. All these things. The pressure of being alone. And having this mount up, mount up. You're coming every day to the lab. You put on your goggles. You put on your lab coat. Everybody looks the same. They're all doing their own experiments. One day she's gone. Everybody shocked. Should we be shocked? When we don't have Jesus, we have nothing. It's just a matter of time before the devil takes somebody down. Even if they live to be 95. At the end of the 95 years, it's a whole waste, ultimately. Because without the Lord, they're not in heaven. God has come to us today to show us from Matthew 14, from that passage about Peter, that when he was afraid, he was starting to sink. He said, Lord, save me. He didn't get a lecture from the Lord, but he did get a rebuke. He said, why did you doubt? You have little faith. And then what happened? Jesus didn't leave him there. So he starts swimming. Took him. Go back into the boat. Winds die down. That's how fast Jesus can solve the situation. The suffering, when the Lord is with us, not when he's not. Because I've just given you some examples of what happens. And you know well, when the Lord is not in our boat, it's going to be disaster after disaster. Ultimately, it's going to be sinking, drowning. But because the Lord is with us, when we go through a trial, exercise the faith. Today, God is speaking to you in your situation. God is speaking to us in our situation. He's saying, did you hear this good word about me? What are you going to do with it? We're going to say, Lord, I receive it into my life. Lord, I'm going to mix that word I heard with faith. And God, I know I'm going to see the results. Because you're faithful. Lord, when I go through the suffering, I hear the word. What I'm going to do is, remember your promise that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. You won't abandon me, God. People may have abandoned me, but you will never abandon me. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Even when no one can help, I know that you're there for me. You will help me, Lord. I trust you. As we keep saying that through the pain, through the darkness, through the suffering, what's going to happen is, on the inside, the endurance will start building up, building up, building up. We'll start getting stronger in faith. And as that endurance builds up, God's going to form a beautiful character where there'll be no more deception, no more doubt talk. We'll start actually having hope. And that hope is never going to let us be put to shame. That hope does not disappoint us. 
because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit which has been given to us. While we were yet helpless at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus said, I didn't come to treat the people who are well. I didn't come to save the righteous. I'm looking for people who are dirty, who are sick, who are full of problems and trouble. I'm looking for people who are at their wit's end. All you have to do is like Peter, Lord, save me. I don't know anything else. All I know is you're there, Lord. I need you. Lord, take me out of this. That's all it takes. God says, I'll take you. And furthermore, God will give us His righteousness. He will cleanse us. So going back to the beginning of the message, with that clear conscience because of the blood of Jesus, because God is speaking to us today, everybody that can hear this message, God wants to change our lives. God wants to develop His character in us. We can go through anything and everything. You know God is stretching your faith. Sometimes it takes just a little bit to cause us to shake. And then as we develop this trust in God, we start getting stronger through endurance, it's going to take more to shake us. It's going to come to the point where, like the apostle says, we'll become unshakable. Amen? Don't you want that? Don't you want to be unshakable in your faith? We want to be people who know our God. People who could do great exploits. We can, we can be people who can go into the midst of a terrible situation and really give real comfort to people and pray for them and see a result. God can give us power. You can tell someone, you know what? I went through this. God was with me. He took me out. He can help you too. The love and the deliverance is not for us to keep and hold to ourselves. It's to go and share it with the world so they can come to Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We're going to bow our heads. Ask God to make this message real to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God has spoken to us. Last week, God spoke to us from the Gospel of Mark about the healing of that man who was deaf and mute. Last week God showed us how we need to be alone with God so we can hear His voice. We need to trust God, not fight Him. God will do the impossible for us. This week we've seen how doubts can still arise Doubts can still arise if we give it room. Peter didn't have to sink. He didn't have to start sinking. The only thing that made the difference between him walking on water and beginning to sink was doubt. Don't doubt. Say, God, I'm not going to doubt anymore. Can you say that within your heart? Can you say that, Lord, I'm sorry for doubting you? Don't we have to be sorry? Because God loves us so much, He's given us faith, He's given us promises. We should feel sorry if we have doubted the living God. Because He never lies. Out of love, He speaks to us what He will do if we trust Him. In your own heart, think about a time when you doubted. It could have been very recent. 
something that's pressing against you, some problem or problems, and you haven't been trusting God fully like you should. God loves you. God loves us. He understands. But He also is saying, you need to decide whether you're going to doubt or have faith in me. Hallelujah. It's going to make a big difference. I don't want to be like Peter, feeling God's good, His divine influence on my life. I know He's working. At the same time, I have doubts. You say, suspicion? Get out in Jesus' name. I will not have evil suspicion against God. He's too good. Hallelujah. He's a great God. Hallelujah. God doesn't lie. Hallelujah. He's a promise-keeping God. He keeps His covenant with His people. I'm sorry, Lord, if I've doubted you. I'm sorry, Lord. We sing to the Lord. Some of us worship. Even when we worship, we're not fully believing. How will we ever grow? How will we ever develop this beautiful endurance that will turn into character, that will yield this hope in God, that will never be put to shame? That means God will come through. He will pick us, out of, pick us up out of the miry clay. He's going to set us on a platform for everybody to see. This is my beloved child, in whom I'm well pleased. Oh, hallelujah. Wouldn't you love to hear that from God? Not when we get to heaven. Right now. Right now. Hallelujah. In this world. I want God to say that this is my beloved child, in whom I'm well pleased. Hallelujah. We just got to sing this song before. Let's go continue.